Welcome to the Founder Scale Sales Leadership Podcast, where we help business founders and sales leaders understand and overcome the challenges of building high-performing sales teams. Hello, and welcome to the Founder Scale Sales Leadership Podcast. My name is Josh Sweeney. And I'm Taylor Barnes. All right, Taylor, today, uh, well, last week we talked about the five types of sales managers. And uh, this week we're going to talk about taking the friction out of sales. So mm. first, let's hear from you. Like, what, what are we talking about around friction and sales? What does that even mean? Well, I mean, I think everybody would love a sale to be easier, right? I think that goes without saying that sales can be a little bit challenging here and there. And depending on what kind of an organization you are, whether you're private or public, there could be a lot of red tape, a whole lot of, you know, this has got to be approved by this person before it's approved by that person and this and that. So the idea of taking friction out of sales for me gives our listeners the ability to simplify the process and to give founder-led organizations the ability to take a look at how their process looks and what can they remove from the sales process to makes it just just to make it easier to get deals in the door, to make it easier for quotes to get out the door, to make it easier to deliver on things like that. Yeah, and my process on this, since you know I'm process driven, is yeah. I like to map these out, right? So I'll go take a couple of sales, monitor what a salesperson's doing, start date, end date, you know, put a bunch of you know squares in a Visio document, yeah. and then say, okay, what happened at each point? What took the longest, right? Mm-hmm. What was a bottleneck? What didn't happen? And almost every time, you'll see a few things that are just work like a machine, well-oiled machine and a couple of things in there that just crush every deal. You know, yep. you lose deals in between that wait period. So you can really methodically break up, you know, your sales your sales process and the customer journey and say where do we lose right. the most people? That's um, right. and and what we're trying to do here is talk about how do we fix that? How do we take that friction point out where we're not losing deals or we're, or even we're speeding it up? A lot of times yep. the time to close, we want to inc- uh, decrease that time as That's much right. as possible. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, you know, what, it, it's something that usually when you take, when you want to take the friction out of something or if you want to improve the process, many times people will immediately go to operations in their minds. They'll say, okay, well, if we're if we're taking too long to process something or if we're taking too long to complete a deal or too long for service delivery, there must be a kink in the armor as it relates to or chink in the armor, whatever you say, as, as it relates to, you know, the operations. But to be clear on this conversation, what I mean is taking the friction out of sales. So we can use an example. Let's say that an opportunity comes in and the sales rep goes in and vets it. Is this a good opportunity? Is this and that? And the answer is yes. And then he kicks it out for pricing. And we're talking in a model where, for example, the individual doesn't price things themselves. Uh, and look, that might not relate to you, but if it does, uh, you know, I would say that you've got potentially something to look at that says once your pricing desk gets it, once your service design team gets it, once your solution architect gets it, whatever, whoever looks at it, that needs to be as easy as possible. So what can you do? What are some specific things that you can do as an individual to take the friction out of sales? Number one, Josh, it immediately begins with recognizing what an opportunity is that you're going to excel at that fits in your wheelhouse. Because we all know here, I know you've seen it as well, a salespeople wants to say yes to everything. Yeah, right? <laughs> sure we do that. Sure we do. Yeah, absolutely. Come on in. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll, th- th- this will figure it out mentality is a natural friction 
when it comes to the sales process. Because what's going to happen is you're going to tell the customer, yeah, we can do it. You're going to pass it over to pricing or solution desk or what have you. They're going to say, we're not great at this. And then this salesperson and that solution, are, come on, man, we're supposed to be doing this good. Well, we don't do this good. And there's this. And the whole meantime, the customer's got no idea what's going on. So step number one, make sure you know what you are great at and vet your opportunities and vet your customers accordingly. Yeah, I had this image. There's a video. I'm going to have to post it to the podcast now and go find it. But they bring in the solution architect and there's all these people around the table as consultant. They're like, you can do this, right? And he's like, well, what do you want me to do? And they're like, well, we need you to draw two parallel green lines. And he's like, oh, yeah, I can do that. And they're like, but one of them has to be red. <laughs> and he's like, wait, what? And it just snowballs into like this whole session. Yeah. So I'm gonna have to post that up because that's what that's it sounds like. You do get <laughs> illustration of what I'm talking you, about. You get this situation where a sales rep is adding friction because they're committing to things that you don't naturally do and that's not right. thinking about all the downstream impact, right? There's a that's there's right. an impact on pricing, there's an impact on delivery, customer satisfaction, uh how it's how they how it's billed and collected. Like every time we do this. It impacts many other people, and that adds more friction to the process. That's right. They are the tip of the spear when it comes to an opportunity coming in the gates, right? And they need to make sure that before that opportunity gets in the gates, it's going to be something just like you said, that if we need two green lines drawn, okay, when I hand it over, (laughs) they're going to give me back two green lines, and that's it. And look, it's not to say that you can't customize a solution. Of course you can, but that needs to take up the exception. That can't be the rule, just trying to fit a square peg in a round hole in every single sale, because that's going to create massive friction. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I see it all the time in working mainly with the B2B services companies like, hey, we need more deals in. So we're going to say yes to more than we should. And it's like, you know, there's an opportunity cost to that. And and there's a big impact to saying yes to too many things. I mean, I actually just turned down a deal yesterday where I said, you know, what you're asking for and what you're thinking we're delivering is is just too far off. Like yeah. you should actually go with one of these other three services that specialize in what you're asking for. And we're ready for what we need, what we do, you know where to look. You yeah. know? And, and, and what did that do for you? What I imagine that did for you was it, it removed three or four resources on your team to take a step back and be like, okay, now I can focus on things that are going to be good revenue generating opportunities. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Because yeah. if I don't have to take all those calls and, and magically make that work out, I have all the opportunities that I can work on now you know, that are within our wheelhouse and that we know we can deliver success on. That's right. That's like I tell my salespeople every day. No is a complete sentence. And it's something that takes discipline and it sucks to say, I get it. But you are creating much, much bigger of a problem by saying yes to something you know you can't do. Yeah. And I mean, to take the sales friction out, right? You, we talked about management last, last week Mm -hmm. or on the last podcast, right? Those five types of sales managers. You do also have to have a manager that has a clear line and knows, trains the sales team or a a founder, a leader of the company that's willing to say no to things, right? Because a lot of times it's it's easy to sit here on the podcast and say, you should say no. But when it comes down to brass tacks and, you know, bonuses are on the line and everything else, people start doing really silly things. That's right. You know, you do have to have a manager that, that, reinforces that and is able to say, how many, how many deals did we say no to this week? That's right. That's right. I think you you nailed it. Now, outside of, you know, doing those things and vetting the deals and being disciplined on saying no, I mean, I I think we can all agree that 
that there are a lot of organizations out there that say, okay, once, once I'm in the middle and I have an opportunity, okay, Mr. Customer, thank you for the opportunity. I'll get back to you. And then the headset, you get off the phone and you go try to solution something that's going to work for the client, right? Well, what you run into a lot of times, if you don't have a, you know, maybe one department to go to for solutioning, service design and pricing and whatnot, if you've got four or five different departments that need to have their hand on every single SOW, you're probably going to create some friction to that sale because that's going to take forever to get all the way back to the individual. And as we know, people want things quickly. It's the human nature and clients aren't any different. You know, some clients are more patient than others. Don't get me wrong. Obviously, you need to set the expectation. That's a hack that I hope every salesperson's phone comes away with. Do not say you're going to have something back to the client tomorrow if you don't think that's possible. That is only going to make things worse. So when you when you, when you do look at the back-end processes as it relates to still in the pre-sales, one way to take the friction out of it is just really to consolidate the efforts that go into things like statement of work creation, proposals, pricing, whatnot, and just make that part as easy as possible. You know, that gives you also some tribal knowledge within that department to keep pricing consistent, to keep pricing familiar. And to make sure that, you know, that a lot of different people don't have these different methodologies on how a certain pricing exercise should go. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's uh, the quoting piece is where I see so many bottlenecks. You know, there's, like you said, solutioning. Somebody's got to solution it. Somebody's got to check it off. Another department's got to look at it. All of a sudden, you know, that prospect signed with somebody else. That's right. You know, who had it together. And I think another thing to keep in mind is a lot of these solutions, taking the friction out of sales is a brainstorming activity to me. You really have to look at what is causing the bottlenecks and how can we do it differently? Yep. And you have to have a team that's open to doing it differently mm. because you know, Absolutely. I don't know how many times I've seen it where it's like, oh, well, that's that's how we have to do it because of our industry and how unique and different we are. And yep. it's like, well, that sounds good except this company does it almost, you know, almost the same thing you do but yeah. faster, better, cheaper, whatever, <laughs> exactly. right? Like everybody faster, says that until they get Ubered, you know, yeah, that's right. like, no, we have to run the taxi system this way. Okay. Well, we'll see how that works out. Um, yeah. so what are some other things that cause friction in selling? Well, you know, when I look at, you know, different organizations, um, one thing that tends to always cause some friction is when it comes down to things like legalities and, and language and statements of work and, and things like that. So, look, I don't want to get into th- th- this conversation and get, get too far down a rabbit <laughs> hole here, but I do want everybody to take this. If you are not going to be able to streamline the process of, of getting things like terms and conditions and legalities and language within statements of work uh, accomplished at an earlier stage, you're only setting yourself up for potential disappointment because so many times what happens is once everything's baked, then you go to the purchase order and they say, well, wait, are we signed up as a vendor? Well, wait, do we have NDAs in place? Do we have MSAs in place? What kind of business to business you know, documentation do we have in place? That is a – and at that point, all that does is feel like sales prevention to your rep and to your sales team. And so if you're not doing things in the forefront, in, in the forefront to get things further along and you know, vendor onboarding – uh, NDAs, just just the ancillary documentation. Then you're gonna then that's gonna create a whole lot of friction down the road. So I think you got to get that done early on. 
Yeah, and I think going back to the brainstorming, I mean, you've got to be pretty creative to come up with some solutions around this because the natural state, I don't, I don't know how many CRM deals I had that either got delayed, postponed, or just quashed because of two lawyers trying to go back and forth no. to over redline something yep. that was trivial, right? Yep. And so everybody just kind of says, well, that's the way it's done, right? Yeah. You give it to your lawyer, they redline it, mine approves or doesn't approve, and we go back and, and by the time they do it, it, you know, it's, it's months later, right? It can just kill yeah. a deal is what I've seen in a lot of cases. And um, for you business folks out there uh, that don't like sitting in those legal calls, I hate to tell you, but you're doing yourself a disservice. The legalities are going to do what they do and they're going to do it until the whole document looks red. <laughs> You've right. got to sit in on those to let your lawyer know and provide your lawyer enough direction in those moments because they've got to be they've got to understand what the business impacts are and if you care or not about this or, or not if you just hand it over to them guys and girls that sales never going to happen you're going to get a nice fat take, bill <laughs> that's right you're going to get a big bill <laughs> right. and no sale it's a double whammy so yeah. yeah so that's a big one I, I see as well josh is just that part of it not being considered until it's you know in, until they have to deliver on it next week well that's a big showstopper yeah, and one of the things you said earlier, no is a complete sentence, right? I've seen it where um, you know people want to redline things because they they know to do that, right? And I've seen yep. some companies say, look, if this deal's under twenty thousand dollars, whatever these thresholds are, maybe like I was in six figure CRM space, right? So if uh, if the deal was under twenty grand, they're like, we don't do any redlines. You either take the MSA or you don't, mm, or or if it's under twenty thousand. You get one clause that's most important to you, and that's what we will do, right? And the sales rep could actually, before sending them an MSA or anything, like, look, this is how we do it. You're in this tier, and given that tier, there's only so much margin, you know, to work with you on this and not pay the lawyers, and you can make a joke of it, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> pay the lawyers. Yeah. And, and this is what we're willing to do, right? And these are the options. So, I've again, I've seen creative, out-of-the-box kind that's of entrepreneurial thinking that – that basically boxes in what they will and won't do, or this deals off the table, you know, or a list of things they won't do, like um, yeah. unlimited, unlimited claims. Like instead of having caps on what they can uh, sue right. for, right? Some companies said, "Well, this needs to be unlimited." It's like the software deal package is only worth ten thousand dollars, and you're saying yeah. you can sue me for a billion? Yeah, that's I'm right. Sorry, it's too high a risk. I, you know? I think I think that's a really good nugget you just brought away is. Perhaps a way to remove the friction in that kind of sale is, is to, like you say, tear out your clients, maybe by revenue or margin or what have you, and say, these are the kind of, this is how it's going to go. You're going to get an MSA, take it or leave it on a certain tier. You're going to get an MSA, one clause, two clause, what have you. You're going to get an MSA, and then we can talk about it depending on the size of the opportunity. I think that's a really good nugget that people could take away. And, uh, you know, in terms of making sure that it doesn't stop or slow down the deal at the very end, because like you said, if you really turn it over to a, a full legal team, they're going to tear it apart no matter what it looks like. Right. No matter if it's perfect, <laughs> they're going to tear it apart. Exactly. Yeah. That's what they're paid to do. That's exactly right. That's what they're paid to do. So legal, it can obviously, you know, document, legal documents can cause some serious friction. What's more, what's some of the friction we, we see up front? You know, in the front yeah. of the sales process. Well, I, I think there's there's something to be said about you know tribal knowledge, and and that's why I th again I think it's super important for for organizations to consolidate the way that they go about pricing. I mean, again, I've seen this from department to department. They have you know they've got one that does pricing, they've got one that does renewals, they've got one that does 
new pricing. It's like, what's the difference between pricing and new pricing? You know what I mean? <laughs> right. and, and so they just, they, they really overcomplicate that thing because when the opportunity comes in, it's going to make its way all around this group of departments, this little infrastructure of departments before it gets all the way back to the sales rep a couple of weeks later and the deal's worth a thousand bucks. It's right. one of those things that I see all the time. I mean, when I tell clients that we're going to have the quote turned around sometimes in 24 or 48 hours, they go, wow. Because they are so used to this. And maybe that's because of the corporate enterprise space. Maybe that's because things do need, you know, some some certain attention. But if you have the chance, and I'm not saying that every organization has this luxury, but if you have the chance to consolidate that process, then tribal knowledge is going to come natural. You're going to get things like repeat pricing. You're going to get things like, well, they just bought a deal from us last month at this rate. This is probably what we need to price it at this time if we want the best chances of winning. And you give them consistent pricing, consistent deliverables. So the expectation from the client's point of view is, is really, really good. And that makes things priced quickly. Not only does that benefit the client and the sales rep, but man, does that make the quoting part of this easier for your design team or your uh, or your solution or your proposing team? You know, if they can just take something that they've already won and they know it's already won and just basically put it on a piece of paper again, man, you're going to really speed up the quoting process that way. Yeah. One of the things I'm going to piggyback on pricing, but I'm going to move it to the front of selling right earlier in. So one of the things I enjoy doing, or, or I guess just got good at over time was getting, we get the list of what the customer needs, their expectations, right? And a lot of times it's the wish list. Like mm. they're just telling you their wish list, like they have yeah. a pocket full of, you know, pocket full of million dollar bills, right? And they're just <laughs> yeah, going to whip it out. And, yeah. um, you know, that's often not the case, right? There's budgets behind all of these. So what yep. I like to do was have these brackets where I knew what certain things would range out at. And so when they asked those, I would, I would be able to say, okay, now, you know, what is, what, what budget are you at? And most of the time a sales rep has to be trained to uncover budget. Cause the first thing people have all kinds of different bad ideas around a salesperson asking budget, like, well, they're asking me budget so they can spend all of it, or they're asking me right. budget so they can add 50% and try and oversell me. Right. There's, but in the services business, oftentimes the way that you will solve a problem is based on that budget. Like I can solve it and do it. Mm. I can do all the automation and make it where you can scale up, you know, tenfold with, with one person, or I can do it the manual way. That's a lot cheaper and you're going to have to add people to overcome this problem. Right. So there's all yeah. kinds of solutions and knowing what their budget range is impacts that. So yeah. oftentimes from a pricing perspective, I would be able to tell on the fly where things generally fall. So, oh, you need an integration? Well, most of our integrations run between one and three weeks, and that's six to $18,000 per integration. That's what it sure. looks like. Unless there is an out-of-the-box integration, you know, oh, by the way, I know there's an out-of-box integration for this. This is what implementing that looks yeah. like, right? Yeah. So there was these brackets where we would know pretty immediately. And, the, and then somebody could go, oh, $18,000. Like, that's not worth integrating to that system. We only do that, you know, three times a week or a month or whatever, right? And then you could take it off the table. And yep. then I don't have to go to my solution person because you know, right. we've already removed it. So there's a lot of little tips and tricks around, you know, having some ranges you can throw out totally. to box it in before you go to a solution architect. Yep. And, and there's there's massive accountability, like you say, to that sales individual to, to know those things. And, and, you know, whether that comes from their their, you know, tribal knowledge of their client or the way that they do business or if that's enforced by the management team, what have you. But anything that they can do, like you're saying, prior 
to turning it over to pricing, uh, which is which is actually in my mind going to be like the last thing that, that I would really <laughs> recommend here is many times the sales reps will receive an opportunity, kick it over the fence. They got it. I can just sit back and wait for my sit back and wait for my pricing. Like I can tell you from a management, I can tell you from an organizational perspective, and I can tell you from a pricing point of view, that is a pet peeve of everybody's department. The sales rep needs to take an accountability when it comes to doing all those things that you just mentioned, but gathering as much prerequisite information ahead of time and validating the opportunity to their best ability prior to walking it into service design, walking it into pricing and proposal. Unless you have a very easy to buy, easy to sell, SKU number type of a widget-based business where they need six of this part number, four of those part number, I get it, different story. But if you're talking about something that's gonna take some effort, then you really need to do your job as a sales individual on the front end, because if you don't, all this back and forth, all this Q&A, all this back and forth is going to drive the client crazy in order to just get a price, you know, to see if they want to move forward in this conversation. So those are the types of things. I, I mean, I, if I had to pick, I think that would be number one. The, the best way to take friction out of sales is to get significantly familiar with the opportunity that you're trying to bring in the boat and make sure that your team doesn't have a million questions. Maybe they only have a thousand questions. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's nothing that there's, there's a lot of things that add friction, but going back and forth with a client, yeah. asking more questions, waiting to get on the next call, waiting to get you and them and your solutions person on the call, you know, yep. to uncover more information, to get them a more accurate, accurate price. I mean, time, crushes deals. Yeah, right? it so, does. So let's talk about, you know, we're, we're on price a little bit, but let's talk about how pricing and when you get it and how you get it uh, adds to friction and, and kills deals. So, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. what, what have you seen? I've seen where, you know, you didn't ask as a sales rep, you didn't ask enough pricing questions up front, ask enough budget questions up front. Then you give them this quote and they, they're just, they have no idea what to even say. Like literally I had one, one time where we, we went and met with the client, flew to their location, went through everything, right? That dream list of what they wanted. And, um, we went and solutioned it out and I looked at the price and I'm like, this is way more than what this person wants, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of time spent mm -hmm. on it way more than what they wanted. And, um, I told him on the phone, Hey, I don't think this is right for you. Um, you know what you're trying to do. I wouldn't do it this way. I wouldn't write a check for this much. Here's how I would implement it. You know, the price is way more than what I'm thinking. Oh, well just give it to me. Just give it to me. Right. And yeah. so normally when that happens, like I don't do that anymore. I'm like, Nope, I'm not going to give it to you. Like it's your, yeah. we're, we're way out of balance. Right. Um, so I gave it to this person. Um, I don't know how many of what the stream of curse words was to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was a very interesting yeah. interaction and one, right. and one I've never had person. before. Very creative. Um, <laughs> they were not happy with the quote that we gave them. Like I already knew you, they were asking for more than they, had money to, to solve, right? They weren't focusing on the top problems they were looking to solve. But yep. if I would have moved some of those things up to the front, right, I could have solved that a lot sooner. I could have gotten off that opportunity, spent more time on other ones. My solution yep. person wouldn't have done all that work. You know, there's all kinds of impacts to understanding pricing and budget up front. What, what have you seen from, a, from how pricing causes friction? Other yeah, than I mean, it's, there, there, there is, I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, 
when, when depending on what kind of business that you're in, if you're not at least having a general conversation around dollars and cents by the, I don't know, maybe the third or fourth conversation, if you're not talking about that yet, then then you're at risk because you need to understand where people sit. Now, uh, sit meaning where their budgets are. You know what I mean? Uh, because uh, and unfortunately, if you're not in the if you're not in the retail space or the other widget space, then you know things like list price and MSRP are not common in a lot of these in, in, in the services world. For instance, they're just not. Uh, there's you know it's a whole lot different pricing for uh, for a level one you know uh, plumber than there is a level five plumber uh, to to do a job at residential or commercial or what have you. So so it's very very tough. So if you're not having again that that initial conversation where you're vetting the client, you're vending the opportunity to death ahead of time, you have to include some sort of commercial activity in there to take their temperature. You know, if you're one of those organizations that doesn't that doesn't accept anything less than $100,000 CRM implementation, you need to let them know that that's part of what you bring to the table. You are one of the best in breed, best of breed, excuse me, uh, organizations. And as such, you don't get involved in deals that are less than a hundred grand in integration, or you don't get less involved in a yearly program that's worth $25,000 or, or, or less or what have you. So I fully agree with your statement. You That all goes into that initial conversation or at least those initial conversations. Obviously you don't want to mention price <laughs> in the first one. You're going to scare somebody off. Uh, but you need, you need to have, you know, uh, an, an established during your established cadence, if that's not coming up, then like you said, the, end of the day that's almost as big of a showstopper as legal is is when they see the price tag and they have a sticker shock i mean that is a fail if a client has sticker shock josh <laughs> that's a fail because one can make an assumption that they have had loads of conversation before that pricing came out and if it's if it's more expensive than they were expecting okay many times it is i think that's a, but if it is full-blown like oh my gosh we were way off that's a fail on the salesperson's part, hundred percent. Yeah, totally. So, you know, dealing with that pricing as early as possible, but at the right time, you yep. know, changes the sales sales cycle, friction, everything else. Yep. Last thing we will highlight today: packaging and productization. Yeah. So, one of the things I learned early on was, you know, in, at least in my first company where we did all these six-figure CRM deals, you know, we thought every one of them was unique. We looked at the world as everybody is getting a unique mm. solution. Right. And I think a lot of services businesses and leaders and sales leaders, they, they still fall into this trap of thinking that every every implementation is 100% unique. Now, yeah. sometimes they are. Not going to throw that out. Yeah, but sure. you can also get creative and say, well, is it 100% unique or is it 90% unique or is it 80% unique? And in those windows where a 10 or 20 or 30% overlap exists is just another way to productize, package, increase margin, make quoting easier. There's all kinds of benefits to that that also take out take friction out of the selling process. Like I know for ours, we saw a pattern where we kicked off every project the same way. And we still do that to this day, right? There's Now we're in a little bit of a different business than the past one. Um, but a lot of our projects kick off the same way, even though it's services oriented. And so we can productize that and say, this portion of it will be this package. It includes this, you know, it excludes this and everything else after that is, is more of the hourly or time and materials or quoted, yep. quoted type of pieces. Um, so I love that because it took a, it took another chunk out and over time, 
we were able to actually see that there were some other commonalities and we could start to stack those products on plus the time and materials work or plus the more custom work and yep. make uh, make productization and you know quoting and everything else easier. That's right. And, and I think you just the way that you finish that statement is exactly right. We've got a, a client that we deal with uh, quite often that's in the it's in the resale space. And, and man, they are multi, multi billions. And their their mission statement is, is brilliant. It's easy to buy, easy to sell. And man alive. Is that is that is that what you want or what? So in their model, you know, they've got they, they make it easy to buy because they give you a part number and a description and a quantity and this and that. And so I, I'm not saying that every business is necessarily like that. But if you're not able to package at least 80 percent of your core business into these products, like, you know, if you've got four core services, you could call those four core products. That way, um, at least 80% of your time on the opportunities that are coming in, you can at least fit them into one of those buckets and then maybe do some minor customization. But if you are getting over and over again from your sales team, can we do this? Hey guys, can we do this? That probably means that you have not done a good enough job at productizing the majority of what you're great at. So it could be one thing, two things, three things, um, four things, what, what, whatever it is, you need to be able to productize and package your core services to a certain extent to kind of make that easy to buy. That's going to create better messaging. That's going to create some consistency. That's going to show customers that you've done it before and you can show them how you've done it. That's going to extrapolate into loads of process documentation and case studies and whatnot. So that that's a big one, Josh. You have to be able to take a step back, look at what you're great at, wrap some productization, wrap some packaging around it, create a bundle, whatever it is for yeah. you. And again, get that out there. It's easier to market. It's it, it makes life a lot easier. If you just have this, yeah, I can help you. And then they bring this opportunity and you go around and, hey, can we help them? Then it's not going <laughs> to do anything for you. We're going to look at you like you're crazy. So yeah, that, that takes a lot of friction, not just out of sales, but man, it takes it out of, it takes friction out of everything. If you can learn how to productize and package your offerings. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, a, a good takeaway book that I enjoyed was built to sell, you know, it talks about all the impacts of doing too many things as a service business, how to package those up. Um, so take a look at that book. And uh, we really enjoyed sharing different ways to take the friction out of sales in your business. So we look forward to speaking with you on the next episode. We'll see everybody soon. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the Founder Scale Sales Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this content, please subscribe and give us five stars on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening platform.